This is all about audience, dissecting how creatives in the new media world cater to the audience they are producing for. I'm your host, Fred Vigen. In today's episode, we're tackling social media and college institutions. This is a broad discussion about new media in terms of content and marketing. And this is a two-part conversation today speaking with Meg Kniston of Hamilton College. And in the next episode, we'll hear from Tim Nekritz of SUNY Oswego. I hope you enjoy. Meg, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. And the first question I want to ask to really just... uh, broadly define some things but before we get into your current experiences and and some of your past experiences at St. Lawrence and, and at SUNY Canton is what do you define new media to be? Good question. You know, I new media to me is is emerging media and thinking about what could be up and coming. I admit that I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about NFTs or you know, they, they're talking about new, like the new web. Not haven't really gotten into that, but I think of things that are newer to communications, and certainly those things are typically very new to higher education. Higher education typically is slow to catch on to some of those things. Why are they slow to catch on? Just a kind of a conservative approach to these type of things? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think higher education institutions... For one thing, I think oftentimes communication and marketing offices, you know, they are staffed at the levels they can be, which are oftentimes not, there aren't a lot of people who can do deep dives into how to use those new tools and and new opportunities effectively. And so I think it's a resource issue sometimes in higher education. I think there's also, you know, there's that apprehension to dive into new and shiny without knowing how it's going to translate into helping people achieve goals, you know, which is a huge part of of social media too. So you are now the executive director of content strategy at Hamilton College in Clinton. But before that, you were at St. Lawrence University, beautiful campus in Canton. I've, I've been up there once. And what I remember is it's very cold up there. (laughs) There's any place that's colder than Oswego. It, I think Potsdam, where my parents both went to school, and and Canton are, are up there a lot. So I, I presume St. Lawrence was in that kind of conservative camp as well as far as, you know, well, let's see how the market adapts to Facebook first before we dive into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I joined St. Lawrence in 2012, they had a Facebook page and a Twitter account, and it was really just being used as a place for the university to share their news. So just pushing out all of the press releases, every you know, all of the content that they had. And when I took it in 2012, you know, my philosophy was really that this was a two-way street. That's what social media meant, that we had to do just as much, if not more, listening to our audiences and and doing deep dives into data and vanity metrics to see what was resonating and, you know, really prioritizing the needs of our audience and trying to align the needs of our audience with the needs that we had as an institution. So our goals and objectives and trying to figure out creative ways to share content that got people to stop in their feeds, but also, you know, provided them with something. It didn't feel like a one-way megaphone for the university that it felt like a conversation it felt like 
you know, we were having dialogue and learning and, and growing with people. And what, what were the needs of the audience? I mean, what, and how did you know that? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, there were, there were a lot of audiences, you know, when we were on Facebook and Twitter, it sort of, at the beginning, it sort of felt like we were talking to everyone, which obviously we weren't, you know, it was really alumni at that point. And at, you know, back in, in 2012, 2013, we had prospective students and prospective parents engaging with us heavily on Facebook. That was really before, you know, Instagram and some of those other platforms had really caught fire. And so they all had different needs. You know, our alumni wanted to feel like they were staying and, you know, up to date with what was going on at the institution, but they also wanted inspiring stories about alumni and and people going through the things that they were going through. And so trying to match the content needs there with, with what they were looking for. You know, so many of them feel nostalgic for the university, which I think, you know, a lot of colleges and universities lean on that. We were no different. And so showing, you know, the first snowfall on campus, which sometimes came in September, you know, so making sure that they knew the first flakes, you know, but really turning that into a pride point for St. Lawrence, you know, people felt like they had, I don't want to say like survived the winters, but there's definitely an element and much like Oswego, which by the way, my dad went to Oswego. So I'm familiar with there too. You know, you really get through the winter and it's sort of a badge of honor to go to a place like that and, and be able to say, I survived those negative 40 degree mornings or, you know, and even after you graduate, years after you graduate, people remember those days. And so we sharing that kind of content, kind of bringing them back into those moments in those days, you know, helped keep the, the conversations positive and keep the sentiments around the institution positive by leaning in there. How did so that's the alumni angle. What about like prospective students? How what was your approach there? Sure. So, you know, thinking through what what do they need to know about St. Lawrence? How does St. Lawrence differentiate itself from its peers? And some of that was a blend between the two audiences, right? You know, sometimes we were sharing content that we knew was really geared toward alumni but we knew that the interactions that they were going to have on social media, we knew that prospective families and students were going to see those and that the personality of St. Lawrence, the personality of our community would shine through in the comments and in the reactions to those posts. And so, you know, thinking about the timing of sharing different news items or different stories to kind of garner that alumni pride and show the alumni pride on social you know, we tried to time that strategically during key times in the admission process, you know, especially as students were making decisions, you know, once decision letters had gone out in March and making the decision before May 1, you know, we tried to time a lot of our content that we knew could have an impact for, for those months. And what, you know, I, I would assume alumni you know, would seek out St. Lawrence, you know, like I remember early on having Facebook, it was always exciting to find whether you know, friends that you hadn't connected with at the time, you know, oh, they're on Facebook, let me friend them. And, you know, oh, I went to Oswego, okay, let me like that page, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I, I would presume, or I make the assumption, I guess, that you probably didn't, at, at the early onset, wouldn't necessarily need to market as much to alumni. You know, if, they're, if they were on Facebook, they would probably try to find you. 
they wanted to have that positive connection. But what were some of the early strategies with getting on the radar of, of like a prospective student? You know, a lot of that was driven by the, like the kind of content that we were sharing. So, you know, we leaned very heavily into first person narr- narratives with students, with current students so that we knew we knew that alumni would enjoy hearing about the current student experience, but we also knew that prospective students and their families coming across our page would really kind of jump into that kind of content. Again, points of pride and trying to like break into new markets. You know, that was something that I remember one year, I think it was my second or third summer managing social media. And St. Lawrence was one of only two colleges in the country to have a player, at least one player on both teams playing in the Stanley Cup. And so we shared that little tidbit on social media. And for the longest period of time, that was our most popular post, not by likes and not by comments, which were always wonderful, but by shares. You know, we that was a way for us to get into different news feeds of, of different people. And certainly as social media evolved, you know, we really started leaning into paid social media opportunities. So some of that was advertising, you know, and going through, you know, Facebook business, a suite and whatnot. But some of that too was using parent email addresses, student email addresses, and doing targeted ads to students and parents who had already expressed an interest in St. Lawrence. So maybe we would have a Facebook post about a recent alumni ranking. You know, St. Lawrence is very well known for its great alumni network. And so that might be a, a, an organic post that we would share on the Facebook page, but then we would t- boost that post to those target audiences, you know, at those key times. So again, it could be, um, you know, in the moment, an exciting piece of news, you know, but we were trying to broaden the awareness of it, but then do targeted work on the side where it would really have an impact on the audience's we were hoping to actually take an action, you know, whether that was come to visit or decide to apply or, you know, certainly deposit and enroll. And what was, what, what metric was, I mean, you mentioned shares being really important. I mean, was that, was that the key thing to measure was how many people would share it because that kind of pushed it out to new circles of, you know, new, like you said, feeds in, instead of kind of talking to your, the audience that you were already directing content to? Yeah. So I think, I think the measurement piece is, is a really interesting question because for me, the day-to-day social media was about awareness, brand awareness in a lot of ways, you know, but then we had specific posts or specific campaigns that we want needed to call, you know, we wanted audiences to take specific action. So I remember running a campaign leading up to the launch of our fundraising campaign in trying to get people to sign up for, to come to that event, you know, those kinds of things. So those had very deliberate strategies and those were actually conversions that we could measure through some of our paid efforts, you know, on a daily, like on a day-to-day brand awareness way of thinking about it. You know, we looked at reach and impressions. You know, we we often talked about engagement rate, though I think, you know, so much of that is dependent on what else is in the feed at the time, you know, and we were always trying to be very thoughtful about when we were posting our news or our content to make sure that, you know, if there was some major event 
that was taking place in the world. You know, St. Lawrence posting a blog post about a student, you know, conducting research maybe would feel kind of off key in the newsfeed at the time, you know, but you couldn't always control what happened right after you had done a post. And so, but from a day-to-day standpoint, I would say it was the reach, the impressions, engagement rate. And then certainly I always really felt like we were doing a really good job when our posts were amplified using shares, you know, or I know on Instagram, you know, you can send them, you can share them or send them to others and you can see that, that data, those data points too. So, um, you know, th- those were always indicators to us that something was going on. Hopefully it was good. Hopefully it wasn't something that we had missed at some point in the content, but that's what really used to excite me was the, was the shares. I feel like we've mainly been talking about Facebook, but what other what other platforms did did the university grow into? We def- we leaned heavily into Instagram, and and that's still where St. Lawrence is doing a lot of its prospective student work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is a platform where we really focused heavily on making sure that the current student experience was really coming to life knowing that that was a platform for many years where prospective students were likely going to look first. In addition to YouTube, we knew through some of our focus groups and some of the surveys that we conducted with new students once they had enrolled in the fall that, um, you know, over time, students were really excited years ago to engage on social media with colleges and universities when they were accepted and everything. And then that dwindled significantly over a time to where they were using our social media channels to try and find other current students to get the real story, you know. And so being cognizant of that, you know, I think what helped us was from a content perspective, we had leaned so heavily into the first person, you know, content approach, which I do think helped us. But you know, we never, to this point, I don't think St. Lawrence has embarked on TikTok, though they've been playing a lot with Reels on Instagram, just because, again, that's a platform that we felt like we could manage at the time. And with the resources we had in place in terms of video, that was really the, you know, we didn't feel comfortable necessarily branching into TikTok quite yet and doing it really well. And that that's the thing. You can join all of these platforms and be in these spaces, but if you're not doing them well and they're not helping you accomplish a goal and your audience isn't finding a real benefit to it, it can hurt you. So, so we were always very cognizant of that. At one point for several years, we had two Instagram accounts. We had the main Instagram account, and then we were one of the first colleges to launch a student-run Instagram account, which was very popular for our admissions team for prospective students. We had a student take over the account, you know, a new student every week. And this was back when Instagram was chronological, though I see they're coming back with that now too. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, uh, you know, once it got out of chronological order, it didn't make as much sense anymore. Plus Instagram has evolved so much to add stories that we ended up sunsetting that account and just sort of moving some of some of that takeover type stuff and other first person content into the main account. But we did definitely leaned heavily on Instagram. We knew from focus groups too, that our international students, we had a pretty large international student population for a school our size. We knew that they went to YouTube first to kind of get a sense of the place because they couldn't visit so often. And so they were really leaning heavily into videos and so I always thought that that was very fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. So 
trying to piece together what it's like in in Canton in theory through videos. Yeah, and I think, and I'm not as familiar with some of this, but I think YouTube was among the least locked down social media sites in different countries that we were maybe recruiting from. Interesting. So there were some, you know, I know Facebook and Instagram were pretty heavily locked down in some of the countries that we were recruiting from. So YouTube maybe was more accessible for students. We'll come back to YouTube in a minute, but I'm, I'm intrigued like a student takeover. How do you, how do you vet that process? How do you, how do you, yeah. 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 That was, it was a lot of trial and error. You know, we started by just kind of, I don't want to say hoping and praying, but I had had the idea to do a takeover, you know, with admissions had come to us and said, Hey, we want our own account. And we, I had felt pretty strongly that, you know, it's, I mean, social media is a lot of work. And so, um, you know, I didn't want to burden anyone in, in admissions with having to think through a, a strategy, you know, and so I came, I came up with this idea to do takeovers and, and my boss at the time was apprehensive, I would say, but I can, I was able to convince him and he was, you know, he jumped on board. We, I had a social media team at the time. So I had each of them sort of take it over for a week to kind of give us six weeks to test it out, see if it would gain any traction. It did. It caught like it caught on fire. It was, it was amazing to see the reaction. And then we had a a process where students would submit a request to take over. You know, we tried to encourage them to think about, you know, what did they have going on that week? You know, do you have, is it something where you could take over any week or do you have like a specific event or a program that you're taking part in? And so that, that helped us pick students for each week. You know, we did find that there were typical students, the typical kind of students who would kind of come forward all the time. So we weren't always hearing from all student groups on campus. And so we had to do a lot more legwork there to make sure that we were trying to be as, as reflective of who our students were as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we just had some more, some groups that were more outgoing than others. And so, you know, a couple of times we fell into that trap of having sort of the same kind of student taking over, over and over and over again. But, you know, eventually we did things like, you know, we did a week around the world where a different every day was a different student in a different study abroad location, you know, and and then p- pass the account to different students in different countries, which proved to be far more difficult than we thought it would be. Instagram blocked us out several times from our account in passing that password around the world, essentially. They thought it was kept being hacked. So learned a lot of cool lessons there, you know, and then by the time we were sunsetting the account, which I think was 2017 timeframe, you know, the college, you know, the university, And I think colleges and universities were having some very serious conversations about representation, about the importance of diversity inclusion. And so, um, you know, and those were things that we were trying to tackle through the account, but we weren't always successful. So, you know, I think it kind of came at the right time to sort of get away from having that singular, that secondary account, and then trying to build in everything to the main account. And I could see... uh, to your point, you know how like admission, you know d- different departments would want, you know their own account and things like that. But and 
and I'm sure a concern was like consistency or if it just goes idle, then it's not doing anything for anyone and, and it right. could be a liability in theory. Do you have a best practice or a rule of thumb about scheduling or consistency? Yeah, so one of the things that we had done at St. Lawrence was develop you know, we had a list of best practices that we hoped people would, you know, follow. We asked that different departments would come to our, us if they wanted to start an account. We had a strategy template that we walked through with them and then asked everybody to fill it out. And then we would offer our feedback. We weren't really in a position to say, yes, you can have an account and no, you cannot. But we did want them thinking through the goals. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? We wanted to say out loud to them that social media was not a silver bullet, was not going to solve all of your promotional problems, but it can absolutely work really well in tandem with whatever other efforts you're putting into your communications, you know, and, and talking through the importance of things like accessibility, you know, which a lot, you know, if you're not working day in and day out in social, you're just kind of doing it by adding a post on Facebook or posting every now and then on Instagram, you're probably not thinking about alt text or making sure that your graphics are, you know, that they, that they function the way they need to, that the text is there and, and legible, like, you know, so it gave us an opportunity to have a number of conversations with those key campus partners who wanted to have those. And certainly for larger departments like admissions or advancement, we would be having longer conversations with them about what they were trying to accomplish and how could we help and support them? Could we maybe figure out a partnership offline between the two offices and have the main account do what they were trying to do? Because again, it's, it's that it is so much time and effort and if they're really trying to accomplish something, you know, we can probably do it faster and quicker than, than they could try to like get up to speed and learn. So, Kind of zooming out a bit, within your own audience data, when you were looking at the engagement and how many people shared this, what kind of course corrections or any like noticeable course corrections you have made over time, you know, based on audience data? Hmm. Yes, I think a lot of it had to do with content itself, you know, on the website, things that we would share on social media, and we'd see that a lot, like a large portion of the traffic came from social, but yet maybe their time on page was 30 seconds, whereas the story was, you know, something that would probably take three, three and a half minutes to read. So, you know, having a good sense there that, okay, something didn't click here. And so making adjustments to the, the kind of content we were sharing more recently, we were having conversations about, you know, some of the trends we're seeing in social media, obviously, you know, and I see it in email communications too, you know, people are choosing to jump into these apps or on these websites for a reason, you know, whether to, to just scroll through, you know, one of the key metrics that we had been using for so long was link clicks to our content to see how effective our posts were. But realizing that the audiences really needed to make sure, you know, they were choosing to be on those platforms for a reason at that period of time. I think Twitter for us was the best example of that was that we just were never really seeing anyone click through to our links. So we were having a lot of conversations about how can we get our key messages into threads, you know, and then provide people with a link to 
to a longer story if they wanted to, but even if they just read the thread, they were still getting the key pieces we wanted to away from that content, which was always interesting because it sort of made us straddle the line between link clicks and reach and, and you know, eyes on content. So we were still navigating that when I left, but we see that all the time in email communications. You see things like the skim, where it's just like a digest of all the news that's going on. They're not sending you to a lot of websites. They're just giving it to you right then and there. And I think, you know, again, a lot of people, news organizations have tried to drive people to their websites, their own media for good reason, but I don't think our audiences really want to do that. And so how, again, going back to what audience, your audience needs and what you need them to know, how can you kind of marry those two things together? This past year, you know, one of the things that we had noted through some research we had done at St. Lawrence was that we weren't sharing a lot of our news on Instagram because a lot of times it's not nearly as visual as some of the other things that we had been sharing on Instagram and Instagram's a very visual platform. And so we really had to think through how can we do this in a way that is somewhat seamless and doesn't feel like Twitter, right? You know, but understanding again that our audience is probably just going to be swiping up and keep swiping up. They're not they're not going to go to link in your bio even if you say go to the link in your bio. And so what we had done was you know, especially with stories about students, we had taken key quotes that we really thought got at the heart of the story or one of the key personality messages that we wanted to convey and made sure that we prioritized the voice there and then brought people into the caption through the voice and then sort of a one to two sentence summer, not summary, but kind of cont- contextual information about the news story there and found some we found we had good success with that there. So interesting. that was just very different from, you know, like a one sentence thing that said, now go to the link in our bio, you know, and just relying on that people weren't doing that. So if we want people to understand the brand and, you know, especially because we knew that platform was something prospective students were diving into, those things were important for us. Moving a little bit away from social media, I mean, YouTube, depending on who you ask, they consider it social media or just a video platform, but how are you using or were using, or maybe now using YouTube or or an audio platform, you know, like a, a podcast, you know, are you producing anything in that realm for the brand? Mm-hmm. So YouTube for us was really a video repository you know, we, video and YouTube were not in the work that, were not in the work that I did, though I worked closely with the person who managed video and they were the ones that managed the YouTube account. You know, we did a lot of advertising on YouTube, which was wildly successful, again, geared more toward prospective students and their families using some different targeted IP ads. Within the last year or so, we had colleagues from our advancement team develop a podcast, you know, interviewing alumni and, you know, the university started promoting those more. And again, you know, on social media, you know, promoting those typically was like, you know, push them to a link, which again, we weren't seeing a whole lot of conversions on. So again, what we would try to do is share like an audio clip 
as a video and and then hopefully push them there and then try we tried many other tactics to outside of social media to get people to listen in there and had more success with those like email than we did on social media but but yeah so and then we had a number of students who had started podcasts you know we had one student in particular who again she had also started interviewing alumni she was just really interested in learning more about what pod, what was involved in podcasting. She was interested in going into PR and communications, you know, so she was just doing this on her own. And I know that the university didn't really do a whole lot of promotion of that since it wasn't owned by the university, but I believe they ended up writing a story or having her do a first person about the experience of how she developed the podcast. If we had started hearing from our admissions team that students were you know, looking for something like this, that was something that we would certainly have investigated and and done more with. We weren't really hearing that, you know, St. Lawrence had had spent a lot of energy during COVID-19 and during the beginning of the pandemic to move a lot of what used to be in person to virtual. And that felt like quite a lift for all of us. So, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see if podcasting evolves. I think of podcasting very similarly to which is, this is going to sound odd, but I think of it a little bit like TikTok, like you have to do it right. And, you know, we didn't want to just launch a TikTok account and then just post vertical videos on it. You know, we wanted to think through what what could amplify St. Lawrence's brand, but also give students or our audiences what they need. So for instance, at one time we were thinking about launching a series on TikTok about how college age students could live more sustainably live more sustainably but and make this everyday decisions to be more environmentally friendly that really aligns with St. Lawrence's brand the environment is very important part to St. Lawrence and so I would be thinking about podcasting in the same way you know how does our audience benefit from listening and prioritizing that over how does the institution benefit from having a podcast trying to marry those two things together would be the, the goal for me So like, you know, like a podcast from our career center about, you know, quick career tips or something, things that people would find valuable and not just like another way for St. Lawrence or in any institution to share their brand, if that makes sense. And how do you, how like, uh, you know, so not on TikTok yet, but how like in the past as you onboarded or expanded you know on on facebook and then instagram and and twitter how do you manage the i don't know if attitude is the right term to use but you know the you know you want to have the voice of whatever fits appropriately for the platform but also not embarrassing the institution you know (laughs) how do you find that balance yeah you know i think early on You know, periodically, I used to go back and find like very old posts that I had done, you know, back in the very early days, and they are bad. They were (laughs) really, the university would have been embarrassed to see that, you know, but so for me, it was just a lot of trial and error. I was an I was a St. Lawrence alum. And so I felt like I really had an understanding of the personality of at least of our alumni, you know, we were recruiting, um, you know, our recruitment strategies had evolved and we were recruiting students who, you know, were trying to think of the right word, 
you know, St. Lawrence students were always kind of, this is going to sound weird, but sort of like cool and punchy, you know, and so really kind of scrappy and and so I, I was always striving, at least on the platforms where I knew our students were most likely to see the, that content, we try to evolve the voices there to be more like that. You know, I would also say, you know, during COVID-19, I mean, part of being at St. Lawrence and being part of the community is that it's just a really welcoming and warm place. You know, really, you, you find support everywhere you go. And so it was really important that no matter what channel you were following us on, that you also got that feeling too. And some of that happened more really in dark social, like in DMs and private messages or things that would come in um, there. But, you know, in the comment section, it was really important for us to show that we were, you know, if someone corrected an error in a, in a ca- caption or... You know, maybe something wasn't quite right about the post and it came across as insensitive, you know, actively and and publicly acknowledging that the university saw that and learned from that and, you know, wanted, would, would know better moving forward and appreciated that the people were sharing those opinions and those thoughts, you know, that was very important for us. That transparency. Sure that that was, yeah, that that was coming through. And that's because that is the that is the vibe you get at St. Lawrence, you know, that if we didn't get it quite right, we absolutely that we didn't intend for it to be that way. And, and we will do better the next time. Own up to it. Yeah. That's good. So one last question, just as a kind of wide open, you know, either. Well, it could be either or and, you know, what's next or is there anything that you want to just share that I may not have even asked about. Yeah. What's next is going to be fascinating. I mean, I think in higher education, I think we're already starting to see just this come to Jesus moment where it's, you know, we need to get out of the cycle of being like, okay, we have to post every day and we have to post this many times a day. And, you know, I, I haven't subscribed to that way of thinking for many years. You know, I really let the content drive when we posted instead of letting the calendar dictate that for us. And then, you know, so I think, I think you're seeing a lot more of that in higher education, social media, which is good. You know, my new role is really focused on developing the best content for all of our audiences, which, you know, social media will be one of the tools we use to share that. And so again, I, I've said it a few times, but thinking about how we can best resource and staff the various areas we think need to be most effective. You know, it's content is not easy to develop. And so, you know, when you're with small teams, you've got to do the best with what you can. And so not stretching ourselves too thin and making sure that, you know, we're putting our best foot forward and um listening as much as we're trying to push out our different messages. So I think some of that will also, hopefully most schools are thinking that way and we're, that will stay the same. Great. Meg Keniston is the executive director of content strategy at Hamilton College in Clinton um, and formerly uh, of St. Lawrence, the director of marketing and strategic communications. Thanks so much for your time. This is a fascinating conversation. Thanks, Fred. It was awesome. 
We'll be back next time to continue this conversation about digital platforms and colleges. Thank you for joining us for All About Audience, a project for my graduate studies in the Information Design and Technology program at SUNY Polytechnic in Utica, New York. Find more information about the school at sunypoly.edu. The theme music is Constructivism by Poddington Bear. Learn more about his music at soundofpicture.com. I'm Fred Vigen, host and producer of All About Audience. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.